Our Heavenly Father, we come to you heavy-hearted, needy, weak, many of us weary. We ask that you would meet with us through your word, that you would cause us to know afresh how deep your love is for us who are your sons and daughters in Christ Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. One of the hardest questions in the Christian life is the question, why? That's a really hard question. And, and not just the question, why, in general, but the question why in particular circumstances, especially in the midst of trials, in the midst of suffering, we ask why am I going through this? Why is the Lord putting me through this? Brothers and sisters, the Lord gives us the freedom to ask that question. It's okay to ask the why questions. It's okay to struggle and, and feel. But ultimately, we will never be able to respond rightly to our trials or understand suffering unless we think biblically about the answer to that question. The congregation to whom the letter of Hebrews was written, to whom this originally a sermon was preached, we're struggling with a number of why questions. These were believers from a Jewish background. They had left everything to follow Jesus. They had put their trust in Him. And then soon after that, they faced sufferings of various kinds. They were persecuted and afflicted for their faith in Christ. Some of them were thrown in prison. Others had their homes and their property plundered. They were going through deep trials. And in the midst of those trials, in the midst of that pain, they had begun to ask, why? Why are we going through this? Does God really love us? Is He punishing us? Has He abandoned us? Isn't that how we feel sometimes? We face trials, sufferings, difficulties of various kinds, and we begin to very quickly doubt God's love, question whether He has forgotten us or abandoned us. We cry out, why? Well, that's what the author of Hebrews is going to answer for us this morning in chapter 12, verses 4 to 11. Let me read this for us. In your struggle against sin you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? 
If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Beloved brothers and sisters, God has a purpose in all of the pain that he providentially brings into our lives. And our suffering, our trials, don't mean that God has forgotten or abandoned us. On the contrary, our trials prove all the more his deep, deep fatherly love for us who are his children. And so this text this morning assures our hearts of God's fatherly love and purposes for us. And so we ought to be encouraged by these truths to submit to his fatherly discipline in our lives. That's the main response that this text seeks to elicit from us, that we submit to God's fatherly discipline. You, you see that there in verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. You see it again in the second half of verse 9, shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? Shall we not submit? So our calling is to submit to God's fatherly discipline, his loving discipline in our lives. And the author here, the text gives us three reasons why we submit to God's fatherly discipline, why we must endure discipline and suffering. First, we submit to God's fatherly discipline because His discipline expresses His love for us as sons. His discipline expresses His love and our sonship. Look at verse 4. The author says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. By the way, when he uses the phrase shedding your blood, he's not just referring to a wound from which you bleed. He's referring to death itself. Uh, we've seen earlier, he speaks of Jesus shedding his blood as referring to Jesus' own death for us. And if you situate this verse in context, you might remember from last week and as we've seen throughout Hebrews that the Christian life, the author has told us, is a race. It's a long distance race. And the road is long and hard. It's painful. There are many trials along the way. It's not easy. We are stretched to the limit often. We come to the point of exhaustion we feel like we are weary and cannot carry on and we even cry out, I can't take it anymore. And to that, as, as these people were feeling that, uh, the author says to them, well, you haven't resisted to the point of death, have you? You're still here. I mean, imagine that you tell someone, one of your friends, yeah, I'm really struggling with this sin. It's, it's very, very hard right now, this struggle. And, and they say, well, you haven't died, have you? And you think, well, what kind of 
comfort is that? And it's actually a really gracious question. Because see, nobody can answer that question and say yes. Right? You're obviously there. You're alive. You're still alive. There's only one who resisted sin to the point of death. And these people, they had suffered many things. They had suffered the loss of possessions. Some were in prison. And yet the author says, come on, buckle up. It's, it's okay. You know, lift your head up. You haven't died yet, have you? The fight against sin is a fight to the death. And it's not easy. It's never easy. It's very hard. It's painful. And these people, as they faced various trials, the trials that they faced for their faithfulness, the sufferings that they were encountering, were enough to make them begin to doubt God's love. They began to lose heart. Does God really love us? Maybe if we go back to the Jewish religion, you know, we would be a little bit more comfortable. We wouldn't be facing all of these things. Some of them had begun to grow so weary that they began to turn away from their faith in Christ, from the Lord. And here the author is speaking to them and he's speaking to us because it's the same for us in our trials, isn't it? So often we are walking with the Lord, we begin to face suffering trials and, and some of us lose heart. We get discouraged. We begin to wonder, does God really love us? Is, is he punishing me in the midst of this? Sometimes we begin to drift from the Lord. Some of us grow angry and bitter. Some of us are faithful in the midst of hardship and even in the midst of that faithfulness, we cry out in our pain asking, why? Well, that's what the author is answering now as these people were asking why. He reminds them and he reminds us of God's relationship to his children and our relationship to him. He says in verse 5 there, do you see? Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Have you forgotten, dear brothers and sisters? Have you forgotten, beloved saints? The author says. It's so often the case we have this proclivity to forget. And we need to be reminded what God clearly tells us, what He says to us in His Word. The Bible is God's Word to us, and He Himself, the Lord Himself, speaks to us, exhorts us through His Word. And here the author asks, do you see what God says in His Word? Do you recall what He said in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12? He addresses us as sons. And even as He quotes here, he reminds us that our trials, far from showing that God has somehow rejected us, our trials actually reveal the depths of God's love for us. Our suffering shows our sonship. And when he quotes there from Proverbs 3, he tells us two responses that we shouldn't have in the midst of suffering and discipline from the Lord. Uh, first, he says there, do you see in verse 5, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. To regard lightly is the response of despising God's discipline. It's the response of arrogance, kind of ignoring what God is seeking to communicate to us in the midst of our suffering. 
kind of turning away from him, getting bitter and angry, kind of unrighteous angry, anger, or even saying, you know, I don't care. I'm just going to carry on doing what I'm doing. Who cares? And just moving on with life. The other response that we ought not to have is to grow weary. The second half of the verse. Don't be weary when reproved by him. If regarding his discipline lightly is the response of despising God, here growing weary is the response of being discouraged and growing insecure. Not arrogance, but kind of a self-pity. Why is God doing this to me? Does he not love me? Why is he punishing me? Does he really even care for me? And even as we go through all of that here, the author wants to speak to us and say, don't forget what God's word says. Don't forget what he says. These sufferings confirm his love for us and our sonship. And he mentions there are two kinds of discipline that we endure. Do you see that? He talks about the discipline of the Lord in verse 5 and verse 6. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he also talks about reproof and chastisement. He says, nor be weary when reproved by him. He chastises, second half of verse 6, he chastises every son whom he receives. And, and here the author is talking about two forms of discipline. One is formative discipline. The other is corrective discipline. First, we've got to ask ourselves, what do we even mean by discipline? I love our previous senior pastor, uh, Jeremy Rinney, defined discipline in this way. He says, it's the loving application of discomfort in order to shape character. It's the loving application of discomfort in order to shape character. And God does that in our lives in two different ways. He, first of all, there's this formative discipline that the Lord is always working in us. And formative discipline has nothing to do with us having done anything wrong. You, you have to understand, sometimes you're going through suffering, things are hard, the Lord brings difficult circumstances, and you might wonder, is this because I've sinned? Well, often we haven't sinned at all. The formative discipline is not there because we've sinned. It's there in order to shape us and grow us in the holiness and already which we are walking uh, we see this in the world, in various realms, in earthly life. Uh, you see this in the military. If someone joins the army, they go through a very rigorous disciplining and training in order to be prepared for their task. You see this in sport. If someone is going to be uh, an athlete, whatever sport that they're going to undertake, there's a lot of rigor and discipline and training that is formative, preparing them for that sport. We see this with our children in their schooling and their education. It's not just do whatever you want. There's a lot of training and rigor and routine. Sometimes it's hard, but that eventually ends up in results, in good results. So discipline is often formative, and it's the same with the Lord. He takes us through trials. He takes us through difficult circumstances, suffering and affliction in various ways, because He is growing us, He is shaping us, He is forming us and making us more and more like Christ. That's formative discipline. At other times, we have corrective discipline. That's what He talks about here when He says, you know, we are reproved by the Lord or the Lord chastises every son whom He receives. In other words, this kind of discipline is in reference to sin in our lives. And sometimes we are sinning or we're going astray and the Lord does want to lovingly, wants to bring us back from that. 
and He will not allow us to continue in that sin. He will not allow His children to continue in folly, and so He will use discipline, He will use pain, discomfort, in order to bring us back to repentance. All of that is to shape our character. And, and the most important thing that the author tells us here is the reason for this kind of discipline in our lives. Did you see verse 6? The Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. He is showing us His love. Our trials, our suffering, prove His love for us, confirms our status as His sons. He explains it further in verses 7 and 8. Look at verses 7 and 8. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? You know, I was reading an article about our wise ruler in the UAE, His Highness uh, Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed Al Nahyan. And the article recounts his early life, his childhood and upbringing. And maybe some of you didn't know this, uh, it's something new I learned, that uh, when he was a young man, uh, Sheikh Mohammed was sent to Morocco by his father, uh, the late Sheikh Zayed. And uh, he lived in Morocco, actually, with a different last name. Sheikh Zayed had his last name changed on his passport so that he would not be recognized as royalty. And he meant this as an experience of training to shape the character of the future ruler of this country. And Sheikh Mohammed was living there in Morocco. He worked as a waiter in a local restaurant. He would cook his own meals. He would do his own laundry. Uh, the article quotes him as saying this. He said, there would be a bowl of tabule in the fridge and I'd keep eating from it day after day until a kind of fungus formed on the top. Uh, later, he uh, went for his final two years of education uh, to a boarding school called Gordonston in Scotland, which is known for its rigorous routine of training young men. They would have to endure cold showers, physical labor. It was very hard. Prince Charles also went to the same school and found it a very difficult experience. Sheikh Mohammed was very thankful for his experience there and his time in Morocco. You see, J.I. Packer says this, listen to this, he says, In this world, royal children have to undergo extra training and discipline which other children escape in order to fit them for their high destiny. It is the same with the children of the king of kings. Brothers and sisters, our father and king is training us for a destiny that is unimaginably high, far beyond all that we could ever imagine. He is treating us as sons. He cares for us. He loves us. He wants to shape us. Did you see verses 7 and 8? God is treating you as sons. If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. The author is speaking there of something that was very common in the ancient world. In the ancient world, you often had noblemen who would have one wife, then they'd have children through that one wife who were legitimate heirs, and then they would have a number of other relationships, other women and children born out of wedlock who were illegitimate. 
And how do you tell the difference in the relationship between those who are legitimate sons and heirs and those children that were illegitimate? Well, in regard to those who were legitimate sons, the fathers would take an interest in them. There would be an involvement in their lives. There would be a concern for their upbringing, for their education, for their training, for their discipline, for their preparation to be heirs of the father's estate. And, and we know this intuitively, don't we? We take a particular concern and we have a particular care for the training and upbringing of our own children. I, I feel this with my daughters. I don't have... Well, I don't care about all your kids, but I don't have as much of an interest, as much of an investment in their training and upbringing as I do in my own. There's, there's a concern and a deep love that I have for the daughters that God has entrusted to my care, to be their father. You know, sometimes uh, as they were growing up, my kids had many different friendships, and sometimes I'd see something in another kid, like, mm, I, I, like that particular pattern of behavior. And then all of a sudden I see it begin to show up in my kid, right? And then I, I address it. We, we would discipline them. And they're like, oh, it's not fair. And, you know, it's like, hey, that stuff doesn't happen. It may happen in, in that house. It doesn't happen in my house. We do things differently here. By the way, side note, fathers in the congregation want to speak to you. This text holds you responsible. This implies that fathers are responsible for the discipleship and the discipline of children entrusted to our care. I mean, we all know this, right? We've seen kids who grow up who have never learned the limits. There are a lot of kids who have never been told no, have never had boundaries placed in their lives, no limitations, no correction, and they end up growing up being kind of a danger to people around them and a danger to themselves. Being left without discipline does not have good results. You see, discipline is an aspect of fatherly love and care. And it looks different from house to house. It looks different from family to family, from culture to culture even. But even if it varies, if a, if a parent leaves a child with, without training, without discipline, without instruction, without checking, without correction, then you've got to ask, what is the nature of that relationship? And you know, I know this with Mike, is some of the hardest moments as a parent, as a father, is when you're disciplining a child, especially corrective discipline. So some of the hardest moments and yet can be some of the most tender moments. And one thing that I want my daughters always to know, and I've asked them this question many times, they will tell you, and I ask them this, especially when we go through discipline. Why does daddy discipline you? Why do I discipline you? And if they can't answer, then I'm going to work with them to make sure that they know the answer. But they know. They will look at me with their big eyes and say, because you love me. Friends, why does the Lord discipline us? Because He loves us. He's our Father. And He's not going to spoil us. He's not going to ignore us. 
He's not going to let us continue in sin or folly. He's not just going to leave us aside. No, all the trials that he brings into our lives are an expression of his fatherly love, of the fact that we belong to him. These sufferings reveal our sonship. That's what the author has been telling us. He's emphasized this throughout the letter. If you go back to chapter 2, he says that God the Father is leading many sons to glory. He's bringing us to glory. He is our father. We are his children. And he intends this for us. So dear friends, beloved saints, whatever the trial, whatever the circumstances that we are facing, how do we endure that suffering? How do we make it through? It's by recognizing that our trials are not only ordained by God in his infinite wisdom, are not only controlled by God in his sovereign power, but especially recognizing that all of our suffering, all of our pain, has been ordered by God as an expression of His fatherly love, revealing our sonship, and He will sustain us through all of it. You know, J.I. Packer says, if you want to know what someone thinks, you want to, want to know if someone understands Christianity, ask them, ask them what they think of being a child of God and having God as our Father. He says the highest privilege and benefit that the gospel bestows is the privilege of adoption. And you know, it's just two weeks ago, two weeks back at our congregational prayer evening gathering that I was giving away a book, if you remember, those of you who were there, by J.I. Packer. And I said, can anyone tell me here uh, what J.I. Packer calls the chief benefit and privilege of the gospel? From the back, hand went up. It was Emily Nivea. And she shouted out, adoption. Not knowing that one week later, she and Manuel would be walking through this darkness and this pain. And one of the greatest privileges that I have as a pastor, that we have as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ is in situations like this to go to the Nivea's home. I've been there a couple of times this week. And to hear them sing. To sing in the midst of suffering. That's the privilege of Christians. To be able to cry out in faith, trusting that our God is good. And brother and sister, we, I want to remind you, Manuel, Emily, the Lord loves you. Our Father loves you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And no matter what comes, He is working for your good in His fatherly love. And brothers and sisters, we ought to remind Manuel and Emily of this. We ought to remind one another of this over and over again because of our proclivity to forget, you see. We forget that he addresses us as sons. We forget that we've been adopted as his children. We forget that he is always working, even in our suffering, even in our pain, for our good, out of love, because we are his sons and daughters in Christ. And that leads us then to how we should respond. You see, the author not only reminds the church of what discipline expresses, it expresses God's fatherly love and our sonship. He also tells us how we should respond because of what God's discipline ensures for us. 
That's the second reason to submit to God's fatherly discipline. We submit to God's discipline because it expresses His love and our sonship. And second, we submit to His fatherly discipline because it ensures our spiritual life. Did you see verse 9? Look at verse 9. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? The author gives us there a contrast between human fathers and our heavenly father. And when speaking of human fathers in the original, the language there translated earthly fathers could be translated fathers according to the flesh. Our bond with our human fathers is one that is physical. It is one that is temporary in this earthly life. It doesn't go on forever. And yet we, all of us, have respected, have honored our earthly fathers, we have been disciplined, corrected by them in many ways, and we submitted to that. Here he says, think of whom is bringing this discipline. This is the father of spirits. This is a father who has adopted us into his family with whom we have a spiritual bond who will remain our father forever and ever in all eternity. And if we respected and submitted to earthly fathers, fathers who were mere flesh when they trained us, when they disciplined us, how much more should we submit to our heavenly Father whose intention for us is life. We, we are subject to Him and we shall live eternal life, spiritual life. He's going to ensure that we make it to the end, that we become heirs of eternity. Again, you think of in the earthly realm, sometimes, for me, very often, one of the places where I am going to be very firm in discipline is if the child is doing something that is a threat to their physical safety or their life. Don't you do that again. Our Heavenly Father cares about our eternal safety, about eternal life. How much more does He care for us to ensure that we don't plunge into folly or destruction, to ensure that we make it to the end? By the way, this is why discipline, both formative discipline and corrective discipline, is so important in the context of a local church, of a covenant family. We want to make sure everyone makes it to the end, that the church, in the church we love each other enough to tell one another the truth, to caution one another, warn one another, correct one another through the biblical process of discipline, to bring people back from danger. You've got to think again of the context in Hebrews. These saints were struggling. Some of them were in temptation to abandon the faith. Some of them had stopped attending the gathered assembly of the church altogether. Some of them had grown lax and weary. And here the author is reminding them of the goal of all the afflictions and trials that have come into their lives. He says the goal, dear friends, is life. Eternal life. The Lord, our Father, cares about our eternity. He cares that we make it. Every one of us who is in Christ, He cares that we make it to the end and He lovingly disciplines us. He lovingly will even strike us to ensure that we will live. The Puritan Samuel Rutherford, Puritan pastor, once said, Faith learns to kiss the hand of her striking Lord. Faith learns to kiss the hand of her striking Lord. And it is one of the deepest, greatest acts of faith to believe 
that the hardships in our life as Christian believers come from the hand of our loving Heavenly Father. That even when He strikes us, He's doing so in love. Because you see, discipline is painful. It's hard. It's not easy. You don't just grin and bear it. No, it's grief-filled. And there will often be pain and tears. Sometimes we face some of the hardest struggles of our lives. But none of it is without meaning. All of it has a goal, has an end result. And that's what the author wants us to see in verses 10 and 11, which is our third reason to submit to God's fatherly discipline. We submit to God's fatherly discipline because it expresses His love and our sonship. Second, because it ensures our spiritual life. And third, because it expects the fruit of righteousness. God's fatherly discipline expects the fruit of righteousness. Verses 10 and 11. For they, that is our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Did you see in verse 10 there, he gives us two more points of contrast between earthly fathers and our heavenly father. He says, they disciplined us for a short time. We have, all, all of us have our earthly fathers on this earth, in this life, for a limited period of time, and they discipline us and train us while we are under their authority for a limited period. God, our Father, works throughout our lives. From the point that we are born again and are adopted into His family in Christ, from that moment on, He is always working, always training, always shaping and fashioning us for our good. And then, did you see what else it says? They disciplined us as seemed best to them. He disciplines us for our good. In other words, what the author is saying with that contrast is, our fathers in this world, all of us, we discipline and have been disciplined with finite, fallen, imperfect human wisdom. The Lord disciplines us infallibly, always for our benefit. If you think about this as earthly fathers in this room, and those of us who have been disciplined by earthly fathers, which is all of us in some degree or the other, the discipline of earthly fathers is imperfect. It's inconsistent. All of us as fathers have kind of learned as we went along, right? We learn as we do. Sometimes we're too severe, too harsh, Sometimes we're too lax, more often than not, kind of casual. Sometimes we punish the wrong kid. Sometimes you're punishing the kid or disciplining the kid, not because of the kid, but because of you. Because you had a stressful day or you were in a bad mood. The boss gave it to you at office, so you give it to the kid at home. Many of us are, we, we make mistakes, we sin. I had to repent to one of my children this morning before coming to church for being too severe with her concerning something yesterday evening. 
Some of you have been in homes where you were ill-treated or even abused or abandoned. And I'm so heartbroken for that experience. All earthly fathers are weak, fallen, imperfect. But our Heavenly Father makes no mistakes. He is perfectly wise, perfectly loving. His love for us never changes. He is never ill-tempered. He is never capricious. He is never too harsh or too severe. He is never misinformed. He is never too lax. No, He always, always, in every circumstance, is working for our good. And then you ask the question, well, what is that good? And the author tells us that we might be sharers of His holiness. That we might yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. God our Father cares that we look like Him. That we display His character in our lives. That by our lives it's evident to which family we belong. You see, most of us are most concerned about our own happiness, our own comfort. That's what kind of drives us the most. And we often will pursue happiness at the expense to the exclusion of holiness. The Lord our God cares primarily about our holiness. He is more concerned about our holiness than kind of our temporary fleeting happiness. And He wants us to see that holiness is the pathway to true happiness. He cares much more about our character than our comfort. And what is it that produces this holiness in our lives? What is it that shapes our character and brings forth righteousness? Well, it's His fatherly discipline. And yes, it's hard. It's all right to acknowledge that. It's painful. It is grief-filled. Yes, it brings tears and heartbreak. So often, friends, I know so many of you in this congregation have faced so many sufferings of various kinds as believers in Christ, and it is not easy, it's not pleasant, it's heavy. But we remember from whose hand these sufferings come, from the hands of our sovereign, wise, loving Father who is working for our holiness. Did you see verse 11? For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. It is painful, it is hard. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The present is painful, but the future will be fruitful. And we are assured of that. It's, it's not that we say, oh, you know, I'll get through this suffering and afterwards there'll be glory. No, we recognize that this suffering, this present trial, is the very thing that is preparing us for glory. And so we come back to that question that we asked at the beginning and we ask the question, why? Why, Lord? Why these trials? Why this pain? Why the cancer? Because your heavenly Father loves you. Why this sickness and pain? Because your loving heavenly Father is treating you as his son or daughter. Why the persecution or rejection? Because he is working to ensure our eternal life. 
Why these people who treat me unfairly? Because the Lord is shaping you to conform to His holiness so that you will yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness in your life. Why did that person whom I trusted so much betray me and it was so painful and hard and tear-filled? Because He loves you. Why this sudden job loss? Why these financial struggles? Why these brain tumors? Because our loving Heavenly Father has ordained them and is ordering your life to work for your good in His love towards His sons and daughters. So when the cancer diagnosis is received, when the car accident takes place, when you receive that phone call that's going to change your life, when your husband or your wife or your family or your friends reject you for your faith in Christ, when you endure the deep grief of losing someone so dear to you, remember this, your heavenly Father, your God, loves you with an unchanging everlasting love. He will not abandon you. He will not forsake you. He loves you as his son, as his daughter. And the work of discipline through the suffering that we face in our lives reveals this perfect goal for us, that we would be sharers in his holiness, that we would display with our lives the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And so we can freely submit to whatever he inflicts on us because we know that He loves us. We know the outcome of righteousness and our holiness and our great joy. And dear brothers and sisters, for all who are in Christ, that outcome is guaranteed in the life of every son and daughter of God. Because you see, the greatest stroke of discipline the greatest discipline that ensures our holiness, our eternal life, is not born by us. It was born for us. Our status as adopted sons and daughters of God was provided through the discipline of the eternal Son of God. God the Son took on flesh lived this life as fully God and fully man, our Lord Jesus Christ was disciplined, was chastised. The author told us in chapter 2 that in leading many sons to glory, that's us, that God made the author of their salvation perfect through sufferings. That's Christ. He endured formative discipline. He lived on this earth as fully man. He endured the pain and heartbreak of life in this world. He was a man of sorrows, bruised by grief. He learned obedience, the author told us in chapter 5. Jesus had to learn obedience through the things which he suffered. He lived in this way so that he would be our perfect representative and so that he could be appointed as our perfect high priest, a high priest who is always able to sympathize with us in all our weakness, in all our grief, in all our temptation, in all our pain, our merciful, gracious high priest sympathizes with us, even in our greatest trials. He not only endured formative discipline, but Jesus also endured God's corrective, punitive discipline in a way that we will never face. He faced discipline in its most severe force 
he faced the punishment of the wrath of God, God's chastisement, the fury of God's wrath as judge fell upon Jesus, his own son, even though Jesus had not sinned. Well, why did that happen? Because he went to the cross as our substitute. He was forsaken so that we might not be forsaken. The Son of God endured judgment so that you and I, by faith in him, might become sons and daughters of God and be received into the family of God. Jesus' suffering as a son lays the foundation for us to become sons and to become partakers of his holiness. God did not spare his own son. This is the Father's love that he did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. And if you're here this morning and you have never known God as your father, you've never known his love, you've never trusted in Christ, placed your faith in Jesus and his perfect sacrifice for your sins, then there is a calling, an invitation to you today that the God of heaven and earth welcomes you to receive Jesus, to put your trust in Jesus and become today a child of God by grace through faith and have the promise of eternal joy and a heavenly Father who will love you for eternity. That can be yours, dear friend, this morning, if you turn to Christ and lay hold of Him by faith. You know, the great pastor Augustine once said, One son God has without sin, but none without sorrow. God has one son without sin, but none without sorrow. For all of us who are his sons, sorrow and suffering is a part of that sonship. But in that suffering, we are reminded he did not spare his own son. He gave him up for us all. How will he not freely give us all things? In the deepest, darkest valley of sorrow and pain, we can sing. My father's care is round me there he holds me that i shall not fall and so to him i leave it all and so to him i leave it all let's pray father we thank you for your love for us as sons and daughters in Christ. We thank you that you are always working as our loving Father for our good. We pray that we might increasingly submit to your discipline, that we might be partakers, sharers of your holiness. In Jesus' name, amen.